And we will continue in this passage and talking about living a commendable life, living a commendable life. Father, we thank you uh, that you and your commendation is the greatest that we can ever experience. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to uh, wrestle with and connect with the reality of a real Christian life. And Lord God, I thank you that um, you give us the grace to endure, you give us the grace to see, and you give us the grace to live in light of your truth. And so God, as we dive into your word today, what a, what a wonderful thing we get to do to gather into one of the main means of grace that help us as a body to grow spiritually, the gathering of the saints. Make the continuation of this in the word count in our lives, Lord God, so that this uh, may not be mere uh, uh, meandering and rambling, but Lord God, help it to be potently <coughs> communicated based on your word and your heart and open up the hearts of your people to be inexplicably uh, committed to you in a more effective and deeper way where they live and dwell. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart uh, be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, a pretty wealthy family uh, had plans for uh, their child. And they, one of their plans, they set them up to win from uh, from the youngest of youngest of ages, uh, they <coughs> hired a tutor at the early ages, and then they put them, their children in Montessori school and put them in the best of Montessori schools, if you will, um, to help them to develop and, and, and grow and to get the best education that they could possibly get. Even during the summer times, they hired people to give them three hours a day education so that they wouldn't be off during the summertime. They had to do books. They had to do book reports. I mean, parents were setting their children up to win. Hot junior high school, high school, pushed them forward into some of the most exclusive uh, schools that were almost of the cost of a, a, a college tuition. But that's how committed uh, these parents were uh, to their children's development and growth. And so when it was time for college, of course, <coughs> the scholarships were coming in from all over the place, and the parents had a trajectory that they wanted their children on. They wanted them to go into specific types of crafts and fields. They didn't want to do any of those crafts that were sort of generalist crafts because they had a very, very clear plan. Well, one of their children happened to be extremely artsy. And they didn't like the disposition of that child after all that education going into sort of like this area of, I don't know if you're gonna get a job education. <clears throat> um, you know, they said, but I don't think that pays anything. <laughs> and the child was, was, was very, very distraught because the child, although they appreciated their parents' education, um, wanted the freedom to not live under their parents' expectations for the parent to create a trajectory and a life journey that didn't sync up with their heart's desire. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so the child said, uh, 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 if you give me one year, give me two years to, to dig in it. If, if it doesn't work out, then I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it's interesting that these parents kept pushing, even in the midst of that, on what their ideal of a, of a stable life could be. And what the parents realized later is that just because you do all of that to set up stability in all of the educational faculties that you can do what you should do, it doesn't necessarily mean that that child is going to go into that particular area of life. 
But one of the things that we have to be careful of as believers is letting people dictate to us what life should look like. Mm. In, in, in other words, we have to be very, very careful that we don't take some of the memes that sound good on Instagram as a life principle for spiritual life. Oh, y'all not going to talk back. <laughs> I, I, I started following. I wish I had my phone with me. I'd read some of the memes on this one Instagram site, and all it has is a bunch of memes, and all, all it's talking about is, is it, is it stuff that just makes sense? You know what I'm saying? It's just stuff like everybody should believe that. You know, work hard this way so that you can get these results. If why everybody sleep, you work. This is the type of relationship, relationship goal. They say somebody by the court who's a star and she's looking over his shoulder, looking at relationship goal. You know, all of those different types of uh, memes and hashtags. Um, and, and as beautiful as many of those memes and uh, 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 hooks look, some of them and many of them don't align with the lack of idealism that happens when you're under the power of the Spirit in a real Christian life. And and, and what what has to happen is, is if you're not careful, you will embrace a worldly philosophy of life and almost make it equal with a biblical philosophy of life, and then when you get in real life, you're confused. See, 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 when you recognize what a real Christian life is, then, then you'll be, you, you, you won't be confused because a real Christian life doesn't mean seamless, seamless nothingness that won't happen to you if you do everything right. Sometimes you can do everything right and everything can go wrong. Now, if you're not a stable believer, you will view the Christian life in a weird way because you think A and B equals C, but God is the one who orchestrates and who's sovereign over your journey, and everything and development and working out the way you want to isn't necessarily going to work out the way you want to, but it'll work out for you. You missed that. And so, and so, and so Paul, Paul is helping the Corinthian church. I like the way he's helping the Corinthian church. He's helping them in a beautiful way because what he's doing is he's setting himself up as an ideal Christian life by unideal circumstances. Let me say that one more time. He's, he's setting up and pointing them to an ideal Christian life, which really means an unideal life. And, 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 and now when you look at this passage and you read some of the topsy-turbiness that's in the passage, it's really just normal Christianity. And that's why some of y'all under the sound of my voice, y'all confused today. This week was a confusing week. This month was a confusing month. Somebody gave you a nice title for what this year was going to be like, and it hadn't turned out that way. And the question is, you're wondering, God, what's wrong with you? But the problem is, is God's design is not, listen, for you to be, for him to be aligned with you. See, if, if, if you don't get that, you'll have, it's, it's for us to be aligned with him and everything God is using as a junkyard for your sanctification. Everything. Everything's a junkyard for your sanctification. So what you're going through not working out the way you thought it was going to work out was God working out things in you, not necessarily before you. Okay, I got to get in this text. And so when we look at this idea, we see Paul, as we continue in this, on our last point, is a commendable life. (coughs) A commendable life focuses on evidences of grace in all areas of life. Mm. Focuses on evidences 
<clears throat> of grace in every area of life. You remember we left off last week by Paul talking about, listen, I want to live a life that doesn't put any obstacles in anyone's way for them seeing Jesus in my life. In other words, if something gets in the way of Jesus being glorified, I'm willing to fall back from it so that Jesus is bigger than me. That, that's, 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 that's the big idea. So, so he, says, he says, and so we commend ourselves in every way. This is the way <clears throat> that we show ourselves as commendable. We align, this is commendable. Like this is regular Christian life stuff that authenticates that we're on track. See, most of us would look at this stuff and say we're off track. But the Bible would say you're on track. That's what's crazy about the Christian life. The first thing he says is the way we commend ourselves is through great endurance. We talked about that. Great endurance means a lot of hell. I know I ain't going to get too many amens on this sermon. It's okay. But I'm going to show you what a real Christian life is. It means that your life is turning constantly. To, it is a roller coaster ride. In other words, great endurance means the ability to be built up to deal with difficulty. I love that. In, 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 endurance, endurance, means, endurance means you be not, I, I, as, as, I'm, as I'm working out again, and I, I, I love my recovery time now, you know, because I, I love power lifting. And one of the things I love is, you know, when you first start working out, man, and you get in that one day and you're excited because you're back in, and, and, and you did a little bit more than you were ready for. I'm coming to there somewhere. Uh, it's not the next day to get you. It's the day after the first day. And then all of a sudden you wake up like this. You know what I'm saying? Because when you first work out, your muscles be all tight. You be walking around, you know, like this, like, yeah, I'm a, you, you ain't swole yet at all. You just feel like you swole because your muscles are tight right after the workout. But then two days later, you're like, I don't want to feel swole no more. I don't want to feel swole no more. And, 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 and you're in there and you're feeling But as you begin to work out more and more and more and remain consistent under the adversity of working out, your endurance increases and you experience growth without the soreness that you did in the beginning. God is the one who gives you the ability to be strengthened under the might of the gospel. Listen, to be able to have a greater sense of endurance so that the hell that happens in your life doesn't make your soul as sore as it usually would get. See, see that's, that's when you're you growing when the stuff that used to get on your nerves don't get on your nerves like it used to. And when you sit back, you, you know what? That could have really got on my nerves today, God. But you know what? I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm growing. I know I'm doing better because that would have set me off about two months ago. <laughs> Wasn't that long ago, but I'm growing. That's, that's, you ought to celebrate that when that happens in your life. <clears throat> then he says, he just names all kinds of stuff. He says, he, he, he names the type of great endurance through hardships, calamities, beatings. We saw this. Imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights. We talked about insomnia last time. Hunger. But then he takes a transition. And he said, this is how we commend ourselves. Next. He says, now this is the character of commendation. What you saw before is really the situation of accommodation. <clears throat> now you're going to see, now you're going to see the character. Somebody say character. Yes. See, this is what happens when the Holy Ghost is working in your life and you growing and don't know it, but he's growing you. And Paul has gone through the life cycle of this over and over and over again. He said by purity, somebody say purity. purity. 
Purity just means sincerity or authenticity. In other words, as you go through difficulty, the Christian life becomes more real to you. In other words, it, it becomes real because, because, see, you can't really know real in good situations. Because, 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 if you, because, because see, if, if God let everything be okay in your life, you're not going to pray. You know you're not. You're going to get up because you feel the grace. You ever, you ever felt that peace from like, God, you had a real good time with God on Monday, and it's like Thursday. You're like, man, the time was so good this week. I'm just going to fall back for a couple days. You know what I'm saying? And so, but, 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 but the Christian that recognizes and is committed to sincerity doesn't allow good times to fool them into the fact that they're okay in their soul just because God. See, you got to be careful of letting situational freedom make you think you're spiritually okay. <clears throat> And so, oh God, I, I gotta get through this sermon. Um, and, and, and so he said, he says, we're proven by purity. So what, what happens <coughs> during these times is we get the ability um, to show our commendation by purity that happens because of God's work through us, right? So this is that purity where God heats up your life on purpose and let the impurities come to the top like a smelting pot of metals, and he pulls the dross of that mess off, and then you get to experience in that season of life and in that area of your life a level of purity. Now, this is what I love, though. <clears throat> he doesn't just say sincerity or authenticity. He, say, he says knowledge. Somebody say knowledge. Knowledge, knowledge here is not just the, risk, the, the deposit of information. In context, it means growth and discernment. <laughs> I, I like this. See, that's a sign of spiritual growth. When you see what others don't see. Yeah, that, the discernment means to look beyond what you see to see the core of what God wants you to see. That means you can look beyond the externals. See, that's how you know you're growing. Because there's some stuff you would have accepted. There's some relationships that you would have gotten in. But God purified your discernment so that you're not just accepting stuff and just taking jobs because it has a high amount of money. You're not just taking a relationship because the person pretty. You're not just moving over here because the grass looks greener. In other words, you begin to ask gospel questions. You begin to ask questions. Now, God, you, this is how you know you're growing. God, where do you want me? See, see, if, if, if you just speedily make decisions, you're not walking in discernment. You're like, I'm just going to do this. This is, I mean, this is crazy. Right? Nah. You're like, you're, you're meticulous about wondering whether or not something's of the Lord. See, that's how, see, that's how real commendable Christians do. Uh, uh, not take everything on face value, but take things based on gospel value. But then here's the, here's, the, here's, the, here's the home run right here. Now, this is the joint right here to show whether or not your life is commendable. Now, this is the one God's working on me on. I don't know about anybody else in the room, but Eric Mason is about to preach to himself. Um, now, now y'all can just join in with me if you want to, but this for me, if it ain't for nobody else, patience. Listen, let me just tell you something. Patience. I hate, I'm, I'm just being honest. Can I be honest with y'all? I hate waiting. I, I'm going to just be honest. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And I'm like, God, listen, all of this waiting stuff is for buffoons. Like, 
You know I love you. I've been walking with you 20-some years. Just give it to me and quit all that gross spiritual stuff, right? Then give it to me. I, I know I'm talking to myself, but, but every now and then, you're you, you just like, God, like, can you just give me something like now? Like something. But that ain't the way the Christian life works. I'm just telling you, it's just not how it works. These some notes I wrote down for myself devotionally that I'm going to communicate through the sermon. Boom. Listen. Patience, not expecting everything to come quickly. Whew. But settling into the fact that some things take time. Salah that. Now, it's some things that I've been wanting God to do. And God just keeps taking his time. And what I'm finding is, is God is showing me and using patience as a form of suffering to build enduring patience. Mm. Um, 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 to basically show me what I neglect in the now because I'm living in a future. <laughs> See, sometimes we are living in a mental future when God wants you to be faithful in a now. <laughs> and, and, and when you're living in a mental future, you can't focus and nurture now. That's why Psalm 37 says, um, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And in, in, other words, in other words, the psalmist is frustrated because God isn't doing some stuff quickly. And, the, and God tells him through the Spirit, sit your butt down, dwell in the land, and take care of where you are, and I'll take care of the future. <clears throat> but the key to patience is, is God won't move you on, help me today, God, until you begin the process of nurturing where you are. I don't care what you want to do. I don't care what you want to do, it's going to take some time. I was looking at a video the other day with, on Steph Curry. They were talking about him before and after practice, how he would just shoot. His desire was to make, uh, I think, 50 to 100 jumpers before practice. This is when he was a kid. After practice, whack, 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 just practicing. And so now it's like they say when he gets on the basketball court, all it is it's him just shooting based on the development that he did in practice. And so the issue with our life is we don't like the before and after practice. <laughs> See, patience says, God, I'm not going to look at where I want things to be. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on where you've placed me. And as I focus on where you've placed me and what you've placed before me, because listen, if you always focus on the future, you can't appreciate the Lord. Because a part of your appreciation is not some big feature film of your life. You have to be able to appreciate the grime and the grit of where God placed you and be faithful there. And so anything, I told myself, anything worth building takes time. Therefore, patience is needed. And so courageous fortitude, which endures adversity without murmuring or losing heart. That's what I needed. Now, that was for me. And so, and, so, and so even in the times where you're waiting, you can't murmur and lose heart. And that's what's powerful about this reality. And then he goes from, uh, he goes from purity, knowledge, and from knowledge to patience. Then he goes there to kindness. Usually when God makes you wait, you're not a very, we're not very kind. Is somebody in? <laughs> Most of the time, when you're going through something, 
the last thing you want to be, you, sometimes most of us when we go through, we snappy. Uh-huh. Y'all better tell the truth about your spiritual life. And look, 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 you snappy. And so what, 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 it's interesting that in this list that everything falls right after the other thing. It's not on, it's on purpose. He says kindness. What, what's, what's kindness? Generosity. Kindness means generosity and treating people in the way they deserve to be treated. Even the ones that you don't think deserve to be treated that way. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, you meddling, Pastor. Listen, the test of your sanctification is to be kind to the people you don't think deserve it. See, that's commendable. That's commendable. And when somebody asks you about them, uh oh. Oh, this is getting real practical now. And somebody asks you about them, and you, you don't have to make a, you, know, you go like this, you know, um, you know, like, you know, like, that's a good brother or sister, man. God bless them. I'm glad what God is doing in their life. And in the inside, you're like, man, if you ask me about this one more again, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to go off. But sanctification pushes you to say, I'm going to say nice things, nice things, right? Um, that, that's how you know you're growing. So kindness. But then <coughs> he gives, <coughs> he doesn't just give the, the character of it. This is what I love about this passage. He doesn't just give the situation. He doesn't just give the character of a commendable life. He gives the empowerment that drives. See, if this is left alone, you feel helpless. Because can't nobody do that without some help? We need some help from heaven to be able to be all that. So, so, so I, know, I see y'all agreeing on that part. And so what, what's interesting is that this almost... <clears throat> Every commentator that I've looked at on this, and I even, in studying this passage, you got to understand, I read this passage like once a quarter to help me, right? And so one of the things that I saw in here that seemed sort of exegetically intrusive was where he put the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm like, where did this come from? Now, look, look, look at the passage. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, then all of a sudden he puts the Holy Spirit in there. Now, why in the world would you put the Holy Ghost in the middle of a passage? Because <laughs> that's who you need to help our crazy behinds in the midst of all of that. In other words, it's the, he said what makes this happen is the oiliness of God's presence. In other words, the Holy Spirit, <coughs> one commentator talks about him being the rock or the bedrock that holds the passage together. It's almost like, it's almost like the, these characteristics up front and these characteristics on the backside, the Holy Spirit is the one that's saying, listen, you're going to have to coexist. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Listen, look, look at where the Holy Ghost is. It's in between two things, kindness and genuine love. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Because I, I believe that he's in between them two because them the hardest two to do to others while you're in the midst of difficulty. And so it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is mentioned as the rock that helps us <clears throat> to actually have the throttle to execute because he's the superintendent of our sanctification. <clears throat> and because he's the superintendent <clears throat> that over it oversees and even applies the gospel to our spiritual growth, he's there to help throttle us in that particular area to develop us. And he's saying, this is the empowerment, Paul says, that has marked my apostolic ministry, is the power of the Spirit. Nothing that I do would work unless the Spirit is blowing on it. Nothing in your life will work, family of God, unless, guess what? The Spirit is blowing on it. 
Okay? And so as, as you see the nurturing of Paul helping us in this passage to show what biblical commendability looks like, it's powerful. Then he says genuine love. Uh, in, in other words, authentic love for people that you don't like. <clears throat> not, not, not acts of mere love, but authentic. I like it says genuine love. It didn't just say love. That means you got to act. It, it means love that likes. Love that likes, right? And so he nurtures that in us and helps us <clears throat> to realize that as important as this entire list is, these two begin to reflect the outworking of it not just being at work in us, but impacts others outside of us. <clears throat> now, what he's going to do is do an encouraging balance here, which he's going to uh, talk about divine dependence and what it looks like. He says, we commend ourselves also by truthful speech. <laughs> Authentic communic uh, authentically communicating the truth, not flattering people with what they want to hear. So now he said, now it gets down to the nitty gritty of relational execution of these things. Then he says, but this is done by the power of God. How is it done? I like this. He says two ways, by the weapons, with weapons of righteousness for our right hand and left hand. In other words, there are points and times in the midst of your walk with the Lord in a commendable life where you have, to be, you have to play both offense and defense. Right hand signifies a weapon that you use to be an offense. A, a left hand usually was the defensive weapon, which points here to you'll see in chapter 10 that the weapons of our warfare aren't carnal but spiritually empowered for the destruction of fortresses. You will see in uh, uh, Galatians, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, it'll talk about the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith. Yes. Now, he assumed that you have on, he, that you have on the full armor of God. Y'all got to stay with this. But, but, he, but he said, we have the weapon. He said, because sometimes there is a time to fall back in, in, in the Christian fallbackness, but it doesn't mean apathy and a lack of activity. So he said, there are points and times in your walk in the midst of being a believer in a commendable life where you know how to fight. Uh-oh. I like this because now he's talking about the spiritual warfare activity that, that discernment points you in on seeing so that you can fight when you're supposed to fight and defend when you're supposed to defend. Now, what I like about the defensive part is that the shield back then which is representative of the spirit shield, was a large shield that covered the whole body, representing faith. And, 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 as you, and, and faith goes before you to put out the object of your faith so that the enemy, because this is where what, what happens, and you'll see Paul fighting discouragement at this point. Because what happens as you walk with God sometimes, and you sometimes know he's with you, one of the things that happens is you get discouraged. How do you get discouraged? The flaming darts of the devil. The devil loves to hit believers while they're going through because he wants you to exalt what you're going through versus God as you go through it. And so, and so, and so when he begins to say you have to defend yourself is because you're most vulnerable when God's working on you. When God's doing surgery on you, you're most vulnerable. So because you're most vulnerable, you have to have defensive weapons. We're the only people that are anointed by God to fight during surgery. God doesn't put you to sleep during surgery. <laughs> God keeps you awake during surgery. This is a surgical passage. 
And so what he's telling you to do, he's working on you, and you're defending against darts. And what's interesting is God gives you the grace to defend yourself. He doesn't always practically defend you without you doing anything. So what he's doing is, is he's saying, because I've caused you to go through, it doesn't mean that the war is over. It may just mean the war has just begun. And so he, as he's talking about these weapons in the right and in the left, it's interesting that he's talking about this idea of divine dependence. And in this act of divine dependence by the power of the Spirit, we are supposed to be in the activity of walking in a biblical faith. And if you hold the shield out, you don't have to stab nobody. Because the shield covers everything. The shield covers everything. And then he said, then he begins talking about, when do you do this through? What do you do this through? So he says, through several things. He says, through several things in the passage, and I'm over. He says, through, this is where you defend yourself properly, based on God's empowerment, through honor and dishonor. <laughs> honor is when people want to big you up. Dishonor is when they don't want to big you up. Paul says, <coughs> a commendable life doesn't let situational up and downs impact your identity in Christ. That's powerful. So he says, in honor, when people are bigging me up, bigging you up, and you're feeling good about, you're feeling good about yourself. But you also are, have a commendable life in the midst of dishonor. In other words, you can't use a feeling of depression as an open door to begin to walk away from your responsibility as a believer. And so, so he said, he's, so, 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 but even when you're not feeling like it, that's what's beautiful about this. But then he goes and he says, in slander and in praise. Sort of the same thing, but different. Now you got to understand, slander, slander is when people say untrue things about you. And it hurts you. And you got to keep going. Mm, mm, mm. Slander is one of the primary tools of the devil. The way he got kicked out of heaven was slandering God's throne. And if you look through the Bible, I wish I had time to show you how he's used slander constantly as a way to deter God's people towards where they're supposed to be. So they say, in the midst of slander, not true things, and in the midst of praise, true things, right? Paul says, I stand in all of this. He says, I'm treated sometimes as an imposter. He says, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm authentic. People, people say I'm not authentic in my Christianity. I'm not an authentic apostle. But he says, yet I'm found to be true. So he's encouraging himself. Like in the midst of that, I've seen seasons of my life where God has to override the lack of affirmation that I get from my surroundings. And so he says, unknown yet known. He says, I may not be popular, but I'm known by God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> he said, I may not be popular. He said, and then he says, dying, behold, we live. This is beautiful. He says, punished, yet not killed. He says, sorrowful, and yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. He says, as having nothing, this is, this is powerful, yet possessing everything. Let, let me explain something to you about your Christian life. You may not have everything you want, but you have everything you need. I'm not just talking about your bills. Forget about your bills. That, that's little stuff. Your bills and all that. He's talking about like possessing the solace of everything that makes you you. He says you may be poor 
in popularity. You may be poor in wealth. You may be poor in opportunities. But he says, guess what? He says, based on God's rubric, you possess everything. And that's beautiful for us as believers to begin to see the difference between a non-commendable life, a life that seeks these things, that seeks having everything outside of the Lord. Because when you become a believer, when you become a believer, when you become a believer in Christ, the whole thing turns upside down. And now we get to see a brand spanking new ideal. This is the Christian ideal, that you're kept through all of that. That should encourage you where you are and where you're going, that God's activity doesn't end in all types of difficulty in your life. Therefore, your life and walking in these things are a hand clap before God's throne, are a big up before the living God. Why? Because he's the one working and willing in you his good pleasure. And so my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today, my constant prayer for us, not just you, for me, that that we would see the Christian life for what it really is, that we don't have false ideals about it. It's interesting. In closing, I remember when I was uh, in in college and I uh, picked a major, and I picked a major, I didn't even research the major. I ain't researching. I just thought about how much money I could make. Um, And so I had a picture of what being in this major and eventually getting out in the workforce in this particular thing was going to look like until I got up in them classes. (laughs) And when I got up in those classes, I was like, this this is not what I thought this was going to be. This is is not what I thought it was going to be. And I began seeing that the classes, that I had a view of the classes that wasn't a view of the art and the craft of that particular major and what it meant to actually execute being in that profession. And so it made me switch my major, why? Because I was committed to a picture, not the practice. As a believer, don't let anyone sell you a bill of goods about the Christian life. That the Christian life is a glorious life, yet riddled with all different types of napalm bombs that you got to say, yo, you don't recognize and realize that God has given you the strength to be able to walk through this life and be a beast as a man and a woman in his glory and in his praise for the goodness and glory of his grace. Father, we thank you that Jesus has given us a glorious Christian life, a glorious Christian life by which we get to uh, enjoy. it's, it's, it's It's a joy. This is not like this uh, paint, painted picture that we tend to get about the faith. We get to experience the fullness of this thing with all of the blessed glories of it. And that's what I like, Lord God, is that we get to have a real authentic life because Christ has real authentic life. Jesus Christ got into humanity as a human without dismissing his deity yet he didn't live out the privileges of him because he wanted to, have an auth- he wanted to be authentic- authentically human with all that came with humanity, yet living a perfect life. And God, I thank you that you embrace the reality of what human life was like, yet different than us without sin. Without any sin, 
and without any disgrace. And so, God, we thank you, and we honor you for that. God, I pray today that we would recognize that Christ submitted himself to the sovereign life that you gave him, and God, I pray that we would do the same. Maybe you're here today. And you